appreciate it. Uh, I guess uh, uh, I know I know Marcus has gone to a his wife's side of the family. You know what? Today, today's first Sunday in May, right? That's decoration day if you lived in the country. That means all last week everybody cleaned up the cemetery and got every. And today they put their flowers out there. And today is a day of remembrance, and it's the decoration day. And most country churches with a cemetery, and his wife's family got deep roots down in there somewhere, so they down there doing that. So uh, anyway, you stuck with me. Take your Bibles now and turn with me to Matthew 22, uh, and let me read to you 34 through 40. Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now, Jesus and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they never got along about anything. And, uh, uh, but then they got together because they were going to try to trap Jesus. And one of them, a lawyer, asked a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, love the, Lord with all, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what we're going to talk about today is deciding how to decide. Deciding how to decide. And uh, I saw a... Uh, a little illustration of a choo-choo train. It was an engine and a coal car and a caboose. Uh, nobody but us with gray head even remember that such a thing existed. But anyway, uh, the illustration was the engine is fact, the coal car was uh, faith, and the caboose is feeling. You got to get it in the right order. It's got to be facts, then it's got to be faith, and then it's got to be feeling. Okay. But the big problem is our feelings keep getting in my way of doing what God wants me to do. I confuse the facts with my feelings. Okay, does that make sense? I get the facts confused because of my feelings. I have want-tos. I have uh, certain things that are priorities and this, that, and the other. And so my, my feelings keep getting in the way of what God's trying to do. So here's how you begin to know how to make choices. First of all, your choices and decisions ought to be made by following God-ordained priorities. Simply this, you got to want to. If you're going to do God's will, you got to want to. Okay? It's not going to just accidentally happen. In fact, accidentally will do anything but. A Christian, leave you to, uh, lead you to Christian ministry. So you've got to do uh, exactly what God wants. And so the first thing is, you and I have to have a heart that wants to please God. That nothing on our mind is more important than pleasing God. Now, in order to do that, uh, we have to learn how to decipher and make good decisions as the Holy Spirit guides us. And uh, so uh, you put God first in your life. Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. You make a choice to please God. 
Every morning, get up. Lord, I want to please you today. I want to please you now. It's kind of like Dr. Pepper, 10, 2, and 4. You have to redo that every few minutes. About 10 o'clock, you start off at 7. Lord, I want to do your will. About 10 o'clock, you probably got to do that again. Lord, please let me get back on track and do your will. And, um, you know, in 2, Lord, help me get back on track. 4 o'clock, help me get back on track again. So it's kind of like, you know, you just kind of refresh yourself all through the day about doing the will of God because it's not easy to do the will of God. It's easy to do what I feel like doing. So the first is you want to. Second, uh, uh, how to know God's will for your life. Number one, study the Bible. Psalm 119.66 says, now teach me good judgment as well as knowledge, for your laws are my guide. Now, somebody come to you. You got to make a decision. You got to make a decision, okay? And does it require you to lie? Well, if it does, it's not God's will, because He said, "Don't do that." If it requires stealing, don't do that, because God says. Don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, you know, run around with some other woman, a man, and all those, that's just pretty clear, right? A, B, C, one, two, that's just concrete. So a lot of the decisions that I'm led to uh, make in my life, if I just pay attention to the scriptures and be obedient to the scriptures, those decisions are fairly easy. But then it gets a little more complicated, uh, 41 years ago, right along now, April, uh, uh, 41 years ago, 1982, uh, God put on my heart to start Central North Church. Well, it had been on my mind a long time. We'd been praying about it and thinking about it. And uh, so one night, Wednesday night, I went to bed, and the Lord said, Central North now. I said, what? So I got up and called my brother because he's pastor of a big church. Uh, he had a lot of money, uh, I thought. He said, John, I just got back from a finance committee meeting. We're 300000 in the hole. We ain't giving you a dime. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. So I went back to bed thinking that was over. Nope. God said, Central North, now. I said, well, God, how am I going to do that? I got no people. And I'm not, I was pastor of a church, but you split a church, you split a church, the first Sunday's your highest attendance. You understand? Because it was done with the wrong motive and the wrong spirit, and it was done with people rebelling against each other and being mad. At it. That's not the way God works. So I wasn't going to split that church. I was going to leave the church I was in, and I didn't want any of those folks to leave with me. So I had no people, no money, no building. But God said, Central North, now. So I went to see another guy. Now this gentleman was very rich. He could have written a check for the first year of, of uh, our uh, existence. And I thought, well, if I can get that, we can go. Talk, look for buildings, look for everything. Couldn't happen. But that night, that Wednesday night, God settled it. I don't know that it was two or three in the morning whether I went to sleep or passed out but I woke up the next morning I knew I was going to start Central North 
church. I called my secretary at the office and I said, will you separate my files from the church files? Why? I said, will I be in a few minutes? I tell you. So I went in because we just, we didn't even, when I went to that church, it didn't have an office, didn't have a secretary, didn't have anything. And it was, uh, uh, they had 100 members and 20 deacons. And uh, one of them couldn't have led two more to the bathroom. Just the way it was. And it was the biggest mess you ever saw. But the church started growing. People started getting saved. There was a brand new subdivision out there called North Haven. And all you had to do was just go around and gather up kids. We gathered up kids. I went there about the time for Bible school. And they, 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 they said, well, we're going to I said, well, how many do you want to prepare for? Well, I don't know. We'll take all God gives us. I said, you sure? And they said, yeah, yeah, sure. So I got, we visited the subdivision, long story, but we visited the subdivision. The next week, next Monday, we went back through there. I told them, say, hold that little flag up. We'd pick them up. Picked up 300 children, three loads, four loads. And then we had to rent buses for the rest of the week. And then we started a bus ministry and, then, and, and all kinds of things. But uh, the church had grown from 100 to 500. Okay? And, but God said, I got to go. I got to go. And I cannot take up. Because he had put on my heart that a non-denominational church in the raleigh Baltimore area would do good. Okay? And so that's what we were going we to do. Well, I prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it. And finally that night, I made the decision. So the next morning when I got to work, the secretary's husband was sitting there who was chairman of the deacons. He wanted to know what it would take to keep me to stay. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, the former preacher who had been there 33 years resigned 32 times. Because that, and then they'd go ask him what he wanted, and he'd get a raise, or he'd get somebody made a deacon, or this, that, and the other. And that's the way he controlled them. He just resigned every year, and they'd have to agree to meet his demands, or he wasn't going to stay. So they asked me, "What do you? What will it take to make you stay?" I said, "I can't. I can't stay." God said, "Central North now." Okay. And so I resigned and uh, didn't have a job, didn't have any people, didn't have anything. Well, about 25, 30 people called and said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to start a church out in the Raleigh-Bartlett area. It's not going to be a Baptist church. It's going to be an independent church. Well, can we help? I said, that just depends. That depends on whether you know for a fact you want to go to the Raleigh-Bartlett area and be a missionary. If you want to do that, yes, you can help. If you don't want to do that, if you just want to go to another church on the hill, we're not going to do that. And so I ended up with 32 people. The only one left breathing is Jane Roberts. Hold your hand up, Jane. We made the whole run, didn't we, Jane? <laughs> That's amazing. And, uh, but she was a part of the charter membership, uh, which actually worked a month. And then July 4th of 82... We founded ourselves as Central North Church. And the rest of it just happened. I had my brother to come do a revival for us. He got sick and couldn't do it. I had to preach a revival. And people came by the hundreds, and people got saved. And some Navy guys came down through. We, were, we had a tent set up in what's now the uh, Social Security office parking lot. We had a big tent set up there. 
and uh, and uh, people came. People, one guy, some Navy guys came down and wanted to moon us. And two guys started walking up the aisle. Both of them been saved about two days. One of them was a linebacker at Ole Miss, and the other one had been a mean drunk all of his life. And I prayed like heck those boys would leave that place. I did not want to read about dead sailors the next morning in the newspaper. But I mean, it was just, we had a piano. that The, the only thing the church bought was a piano. We rented a building, and we had a $900 piano. And we carried it down there. We were using it in the revival meeting. And we started to carry it back up in the parking lot of what that shopping center is. And it was in the back of a truck. Bud Simpson and I were sitting back there with it. And <laughs> the guy driving the truck, I said, whoa, he thought I said go. We <laughs> Bud and I come out of that pickup holding that piano. And he stopped. We went right back in that piano, back in that truck. With that same, we didn't put a scratch on that piano. <laughs> It was fun. It was crazy. Okay? Just crazy. Totally crazy. But when God gets ready to do something, it's okay to trust Him and go do it. It's okay. He makes things work out. So the first thing is you study your Bible. Second thing, you pray. James 1 through uh, 5 through 7 says, If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him. He will gladly tell you, for He is always ready. This is... Uh, uh, a uh, quote out of the uh, uh, Living Bible, but he said he's always uh, give you a bountiful supply of wisdom to all you ask him. He will uh, he will not uh, resent it, but when you ask him, uh, be sure that you really expect him to tell you, for a doubtful mind will be unstable in every decision. When you make, uh, will be uncertain as you turn first this way and then that. I don't ask with faith, uh, so don't ask with faith and don't expect the Lord to give you any solid answer if you're not asking in faith. But I'm telling you something, folks. Ask God. Does God want you to do the right thing? He wants you to. So our God is a God that wants you to do the right thing and won't tell you what the right thing is. That don't make sense, does it? If God wants you to do the right thing, he will also tell you what the right thing is. So you read your Bible and you, you just right, wrong, yes, left, right. But then there are other things you don't know. Like God didn't say in his Bible, go start Central North Church. He never said that. That's something that I had to discern through the power of God and the Spirit. So you pray about it. But stop right there a friend of mine was pastoring a church and he got a call to a huge church big church he said honey you pack while I pray see I'm afraid that's what my problem is that sometime my want to overshadows God's want to and I pray about it, and I read the Bible, and I can still end up figuring out how to do my will and blaming it on God. You've done the same thing. God led me. God led me. Well, no, God didn't lead you at all. That's just the circumstances that worked out. But anyway, the, second, the third thing is seek godly counsel. 
Proverbs 15, 22 said, Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors there is success. Now, since I don't even know my own thinking, I don't. Sig Ziglar used to call that stinking thinking. And uh, so I, I've got a lot of stinking thinking going on in my life. And since I don't have the, I don't trust myself to make good decisions all the time. So what do I do? I go talk to somebody that knows me as well as I know myself. Okay? And they'll say, John, ain't no need of you thinking about that. You're not going to do it anyway. They're right. Or John, that, that sounds like something God would want, want you to do. Uh, go ahead and pursue that. I look for godly counsel. It's what our elders do. Give us godly counsel so we know how to make good decisions that please the Lord, glorify the Lord. Now, after seeking godly counsel, the next thing is follow the Holy Spirit's leadership. That really ought to be three. That really ought to be three. You ought to read the Bible, pray about it, and then let the Holy Spirit guide you. But there's a problem with that. Me. I get in the way of Holy Spirit telling me what to do, even after I read the Bible and after I pray. That's why I put counseling down as number three. Go to somebody, a brother, sister in Christ, who knows you better than you know yourself. Oh, and by the way, for those of us married, that's a piece of the equation. That's where some of the counsel comes from. Didn't mean it's right. You're just going to get a lot of counsel, okay, from your bride, children, and everybody else. But let me tell you something. Uh, Manly Beasley, an evangelist out of the, in the, back in the 70s and 80s, called his wife heavenly sandpaper. He said, she said, he, he introduced this, my wife sandpaper. And everybody want to know why. I said, well, he, she scrubs off my rough edges. She scrubs off. And there's a lot of truth to that. There's a, we have a maid in life, and there's a reason we have a maid in life, and that's for an equal uh, representation of some thinking different from my own. God does not want my house to be totally John Latimer house. Because my kids aren't just one uh, mix of genes. They got another set of genes mixed in there, and they're Linda's genes. Okay? So it has to be a partnership. It has to be uh, a work together uh, for you to be able to raise your children to make any sense out of life. And so sometimes that's exactly what your children and your wife are for, is to torment, no, to help, <laughs> to help you make good decisions. Okay, to help you make good decisions. If Linda's happy about it, great. If she's not happy about it and God says do it anyway, tough. Linda and I will have to get over it. But at least you got to listen. You understand? You got to pay attention. And a lot of times I've said, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to listen to her. About two days later, I didn't come around to her way of thinking. And uh, she just got there on a shorter path than I did. And uh, so you've got to pay attention to those around you and then obey the, and follow the Holy Spirit. 
But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears, and uh, he will tell you what is yet to come. Holy Spirit is our helper. It's our, uh, a, it's a, it's a, a uh, the helper is a person who comes along beside you and steadies you. Now, Linda and I are trying to learn to walk, helping each other up steps. Neither one of us real good at it. And uh, we're about to pull each other down because she's leaning on me and I'm leaning on her. And we, we both, if we take the wrong step together, we bound. All, both of us are down. So, I mean, it's, it, it, you, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes along, takes you by the arm, and steadies you and guides you and gives you direction. You said, Pastor, you never said anything to me. Yeah, he has. Conscience, it's your heart. A lot of times it's your emotion. Your heart's broken over something or your heart's broken for something. Something you've got to do, something you need to say, something you need to do. Those are the ways the Holy Spirit talks to you. And the two things we don't do. You don't quench the Holy Spirit. That is, he says go, you, say, you don't say no. No quenches the Holy Spirit. You say yes, and then he'll give you further instruction, okay? And uh, so you have to be really, really careful. If you say no to Holy Spirit, that's a dangerous place to be in life, a dangerous place to be in life. The Bible says Spirit of God will not always strive with men. The Spirit of God will not always strive with men. You just keep saying no, 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 and God will just say, oh, okay, Wrong. End up in heaven with no reward. <laughs> End up in heaven with no blessing. End up in heaven with no way to have any uh, posterity to you. There was a lady who led me to Christ. I'm going to tell you about this. I was nine years old. I was sitting in the junior Sunday school class, and we used to have an opening assembly. I am so old that we had flannel graph boards. Now, none of you have ever seen those. Some of you older ones have. But you put a piece of flannel on the board, and these little uh, uh, characters kind of got sticky on the back, kind of like uh, Velcro, except it's not near as uh, hard, not near as tight. But you put them little figures on the board, and she would talk, tell a story putting them little figures on the board. And she asked at the end of her presentation, who would like to believe and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior? And I'm a little nine-year-old boy sitting in the chair going. She said, yeah, right. But I saved that day. That lady led me to Jesus that day. She's in heaven now. She died real young. Her daughter's with Jesus. She got a son left that I talk to every now and then. And uh, uh, how many grandchildren you reckon that woman's got? No way to measure. You understand? How many grandchildren that one faithful Sunday school teacher had? And she sh and you know she thought I wasn't paying attention. I've been up with, I've been eat up with that hyperactivity disorder all my life. They straighten it out in school. It's called a paddle. It's just easier to sit there than it was to get beat. 
But I've been eat up. If a meeting lasts longer than an hour today, I'm gone. Somebody's talking too much. You know, I mean, literally, it's just, I've still got attention deficit disorder. I still have it. And uh, now then there's nobody to spank me. So, <laughs> but <laughs> except circumstances. Now that brings us to circumstances. Because after you have studied your Bible, after you've prayed about it, after you've seek, sought godly counsel, and after you begin to hear from the Holy Spirit, there's still circumstances to be worked out. Proverbs 16.1 said, We can make our plans, but the final outcome is in God's hands. So I quit my job, announced I was starting a church, and I was prepared to go sell cars if it didn't work. Well, I said, well my family sold cars all their life. It was all in the car business. And uh, so I figured if they're smart enough to sell cars, I was too. So I figured if this thing, if this thing caved in and didn't work, then I was, I was prepared for failure. Can you be prepared for failure? Now, I had three children, a wife, house note. That's about it then. I think I was pretty much caught up other than that. Probably caught up with my bills more than I ever have been in my life. And so I just stepped out and said, is, is it a jump, a, a leap of faith? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, I really felt like God wanted me to do it. I really, and it's the first time, you know, I, I remember him calling me to preach. I remember when I was saved, and I remember that night, more than about anything in my life. But since then, I've heard, I don't hear from him like every day, John, go do so-and-so. But every now and then, you know, you know, you know. Because the Holy Spirit done told you and sealed the deal. And so when that's done, then you go ahead and you watch God. I feel, sometimes I feel like uh, I'm in the old Colosseum. Uh, the one they're trying to figure out what to do with. And you know, there what, a thousand doors in that building? Just goes all the way around. And I know one of those doors is going to open because that's what the Holy Spirit wants. I may have to push on 991 before I find the one that's open. But if I think God's in it, just keep pushing doors. Now, don't force a door open, oh, Lord. Don't do that because you'll get, you'll get in way over your head. Let God guide you. And God can guide and He does guide. And so that, study it, study the Bible, pray about it, seek godly counsel, follow the Holy Spirit's leading, and then watch God take care of the circumstances. The first of making a decision was to choose what God wanted. Then there was an order. Now number two, in your life of priorities, your family has to be second. Has to be. Has to be. The, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 22, 28, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In the same way, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife uh, loves himself. And so uh, it's impossible for me to be a good Christian man, if my priorities aren't God first, family second. God first, family second. Now, now I'm going to tell you something. That's a dancing act sometimes. That is absolutely a dancing act because 
I used to pray when I'd turn down my street after we, when we started church and it was growing like crazy. I would pray when I turned down my street, God, please help me go home now and be a daddy and a husband. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to go home and throw up my heels and hide. I was worn out. I didn't want to talk about anything to anybody. But Linda had been at home all day with three children. I came in from Kroger one night when I was in high school, I mean in college, and I walked in the door and Linda said, Here! And she handed me little John. She went and jumped in the bed. And uh, he had a bad cold. His nose was stopped up. And when a baby's nose is stopped up, they cannot nurse and breathe. So you got to get the booger snatcher out. And, of course, they scream like crazy when you're doing that. But you get them, you get them where, well, anyway, I'm try, I had finals the next day in college. So I'm sitting in this rocking chair holding this kid, trying to keep my eyes open, figure out what to I was learning, and finally I looked down, the little boy had gone to sleep, so I said, okay, I think I can get him into his bed, so I picked him up, carried him over, and laid him down. He so I covered him up, and everything was fine, and I went back, and as I came out of his bedroom door, and I saw that rocking chair with all those books laying on the floor, I said, oh God, what did I get into? What did I get into? Is when it dawned on me, buddy, you got to do it both. You got to be a man of God and a daddy and a husband. Your family's got to come second. Then the third priority is your job. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for those in his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Wow. So. We have to work. We have to make a living. We have to have a job. And when, a, when an employer, you know, you don't go to your employer and say, give me that gift. No, you work for it. Give me that check. Well, you get a check for working. You don't get a check for P-L-A-Y. You get a check for W-O-R-K. And a lot of people in our society just hadn't quite got that figured out yet. But their, their responsibility comes with getting a paycheck. So there's 8, 10, 12 hours you got to owe somebody else to start with, to make a living, to love your family, to do what's right in obeying God. Because you put God first, who's second? Your family. After you, well, If you're going to put your family number two, got to make a living. So you have to have a job. All right? Uh, what would be fourth? Boy, I'm way down the list. What would be fourth? Your service to the church. I want everybody out. Man, this coming week, woo, we got to haul groceries. Chris went out and they got, and got Sam's to start donating to us. They come with truckloads. Not just two or three boxes, truckloads. that we got to, And most of it's produce. We got to send it out that day because we can't use it. You can't hold it till the third Saturday. And, but we take the produce, we take all their ice cream, stuff like that, to get the meat and the other things that we got to get. So we handle all this stuff. And this week we're showing about two, two or three drivers. And so it's going to be a long, tough week. It's called work, W-O-R-K. 
I used to be able to point my finger and get that done. Now then, people point the finger at me. I said, whoa, expect me to, yeah, yeah, I do. So anyway, it, you got to work, and you got to be honest in your work. You, you told your boss that you would give him eight hours of your time or more for your paycheck, and to be a Christian, you got to be honest in doing that. How are you going to influence your coworkers? How are you going to influence your boss and be a terrible employee? That's not a good testimony. That's the wrong thing to do. Had a, when, when I first started ministry, Firestone was still operating. And uh, had these guys work for Firestone. Well, a young guy went to work there one day. He was building truck tires. He was supposed to build four, four truck tires a day. So he got in there and just started going as hard as he could. He built six. And they carried him around back and gave him whoopings. Said, don't you ever build six tires again. They'll go up on our quota if you did that. He would be a four tires before noon, sleep all day. The rest of the afternoon, they, they dug their own hole. That was crazy. Let the guy build tires, man. You know, but that's what we're supposed to do is work as unto the Lord to honor the, the Christian life we say we live by giving a day's work for a day's pay. And there's a last thing I have on here. That's recreation. Some people got that really backwards. A cheerful heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit makes one sick. Yes, recreation is necessary. Re but, heck, I used to work harder re recreating than I did working. Take a family of three kids and a boat to the lake. Man, there were days I was out there, it was 103. I'm sitting in that open boat, and some of my, friend, my sons were trying to teach somebody else how to ski, and you start, and they'd fall off. You'd start, and they'd fall off. And some of them that made it had legs, uh, their arms were so long they could just scratch your knee. But, I mean, I was not a good teacher. I was not very patient in helping these when I'm sitting out there broiling in the sun, and they can't stand up on fair ski. Well, anyway, you got to do it. You got to rest. You got to take your family, love your family, and have recreation. So let's look at it again. What's the number one thing in your life? Doing what God says, wanting to, having a want to in your heart to obey Him. Get in the Bible, find out what's right and what's wrong, and then live by it. Number two, pray. Ask God to give you wisdom. He will. Number three, uh, talk to somebody who really knows you. Listen carefully to the Holy Spirit and let God handle the circumstances. You'd be amazed what God can do. You'd be amazed at what God can do. Let's pray. I'll let the band come back and we're just going to take a breath a minute. We covered a lot of information this morning. So, Heavenly Father, we bow before you first decision that has to be made today is do I want to do your will or I don't care some people may have to be born again to do this they have to come to know Christ and choose him as Lord and Savior that's actually the beginning place 
You can't study your Bible. You can't get direction from the Holy Spirit or anything till you're connected to Jesus through his forgiving your sins and giving you a restored life in Christ. Some need that. Some need to rededicate their life to Jesus today. They've slipped away and just not, not bad stuff, not bad stuff at all. It's just not really seeking the will of God. And so, God, as we go through today, I'm going to ask Holy Spirit that you touch people's lives. I'll be down here at the front. They won't come pray. Some people, are, you know, we're not big on paperwork here at the church, so we don't put a big deal on joining. But there's some people ready to join. Tell us you are, and uh, uh, and we'll we'll get you started in the in the right place. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. And I ask your spirit today to move and touch our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Lord, I need you. So let this be your prayer tonight as we end, or today. I keep saying tonight. I don't know why. Um, this morning as we as we end this service, uh, Lord, I need you. It's a, It's a beautiful song, and it's. Don't just let it be a song. Let it be your praise and your prayer to him tonight, this morning.
Jesus, you're my 